make sure. Uh, yes, I believe tonight we are going to wrap up Romans chapter 10 as we are steadily, slowly but surely making our way through the book of Romans. We've still got a few chapters left, but uh, how many of you would agree uh, this has been some rich stuff? Amen. I love, even as I was preparing for this today, just looking through it, going, I mean, look, tonight we're going to cover one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, the ten verses in the, uh, in the back half of a chapter, but, but we've got so much to experience in the Word of God. I mean, God can give us enough revelation to chew on for a week or longer on one verse. His promises, we sing a song about it, it's yes and amen, His Word is good, it's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, quoting some verse right now, able to pierce through the bone and the marrow. I always say, you know, you look at that, I say God's Word has the ability to cut cut to the heart of the matter. And so uh, so let's jump into this tonight. We're going to be in Romans chapter 10, starting at verse 12, and we're going to read through verse 21, finish out um, chapter 10 tonight. So let's read this here, all right? Starting, like I said, at verse 12, chapter 10. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. We just said that in prayer. Somebody say, Hallelujah. He is, he is rich unto all that call upon him, verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's some shouting stuff right there. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah, or Isaiah, depending on the translation, that's um, another, uh, another name for Isaiah. For Isaiah, or Isaiah, saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Amen. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily. Their sound went into all the earth, and their words into the ends of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Esaias, or Isaiah again, is very bold, and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel, he saith, all day long, I have stretched forth my hands into a disobedient and insane people. Tough into that passage, but we're going to jump into that. Let's pray one more time. Lord God, your word is life, as we just said. Lord, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts to the heart of the matter. But Lord, it also brings life. It is all at once, all these wonderful things. And I pray, God, tonight that you give life to us, Lord. Instruct us, correct us if you have to, Lord. I'll start with myself. I thank you, God, for your word that changes us. Let us let us glean from it tonight, God, what you want. Let us be open and receptive to your words through, Lord, your, your written word. And it's in your name again we pray, Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. All right, so tonight, Israel and the gospel of righteousness, that has been the theme from chapter 9. So tonight, we're going to cover kind of the theme in these last verses of the gospel, the righteousness of God by faith, is not for Israel alone. It is universal. So that is that is kind of the thought here. Because we have so many, you know, it's like, oh, the, the nation, of but, but we have right here, in, and it says that you know, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is not only for the Jew, but is also for the Gentile. It is the good news of God's righteousness for everyone who believes. 
gonna we're gonna jump into that that as well. Okay, so let's kind of look at the introduction here. God loves the whole world and every person in the world. I believe that to be true. You know, He, he loves His creation. He He loves each and everything. You know, um, His love is not limited to any one nation or people or type of person. The gospel is universal. It is for the whole world. You know, God doesn't love Cajuns more than He loves Creoles. Am I saying that? I mean, you know, you know, we are kind of rolling around in that Cajun lane. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I look and sometimes I always have people who say, you know, I'm God's favorite. And I kind of laugh at it. And I'm like, you know, yes, I get it. Because the other thing I'm grateful of is that God is a personal God. And he is so powerful that he is, has the ability to focus every last ounce of his attention on Sister Sarah at the exact same time that he's focusing every ounce of attention on me. So, you know, so when you say that, oh, I'm God's favorite, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a funny thing to say, but the ultimate thing is God don't play favorites. God, God's love is so great and his desire for the salvation of man is so great that he offers it freely to the whole world, not just one group of people, not just but to all, okay? So let's look at the proof kind of that it's universal, it's for the whole world. So proof number one, looking in verse 12, the Lord treats all men just alike says it right there, verse 12, for there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek, okay? And uh, proof number two, it says all men are saved by the same promise. Y'all, verse 13, I said before, I have some shouting stuff right here. That's the, that's the one, that's one of those scripture verses that you can write on a card and put it all over your house, stick it in your car, stick it in your pocket when you go to, you know, like, like plaster it on your phone, you open it up, it's like, oh, verse 13 right here. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be Save. That is the same promise for me as it is for you, for our family. It, it's, it's a universal promise if we will grab a hold of it. All right? Number three, the world cannot be saved apart from the gospel. So I've got a lot of people out here that, uh, not just, you know, obviously here in, in this town, but in the world, there's a lot of people now that are saying, you know, there's multiple ways to, you know, find your way. And, and, and the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is the good news, but it is also God saying, look, I love you all. But let me just break it down and be real for you. It's through me and through me alone. There is no other way. There is no other salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, that's in uh, verses 14 and 15. Number four, Scripture says the gospel is universal. Verses 16 and 17 say, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who has believed our report, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hear the word of God. We'll, we'll kind of look into that again, why it says that. But obviously it says they have not all obeyed the gospel, meaning it's, it's beyond. It, it goes beyond just those who they thought in the, at the time of this writing. It's for each and every one of us. And then the last proof is Israel's disobedience proves the gospel is universal. That's verses 18 through the end. Okay? So let's jump into this, all right? So partiality, right? God shows no partiality. Israel versus the Gentiles. The gospel is universal. The Lord treats all men just alike. There's no distinction between men or women, not in, God, not in God's eyes. All men are related to God in, in the very same way. And in God's eyes, all of us, men and women, young and old, big and tall, short and small, all of those things, we are his creatures. I'm so glad, by the way, God, you know, because, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not as skinny as I once was. And, you know, if, if God only loves skinny people, I, I'd be in trouble. So I'm just, I'm grateful. I'm just grateful. I, you know, I'm just going to say that right there. Anyway, thank you, Jesus. We are all as creatures, right? Silly, serious. Okay? All of us. All of us are God's creatures. All right? 
we are all, and here's, here's something else, we are all sinful and alienated by him. We know that because of the fall of man. Each and every one of us comes into this world instantly into that sin nature. We are alienated from God. We have to call upon him. But we are also loved by him, you know? And, and that, that's kind of a crazy thing. I, you know, we're all, I'm not even through the intro yet. I'm already getting off on a tangent. But I remember years ago there was this song, you know, obviously worship's a very big part of my life. And, and I remember that there was this song with a line that says that uh, there's nothing I can do to change your mind about me. And, uh, and that's a very true statement. It's absolutely true. God, God will never love us in this room any more or any less than he does right now. And that's an amazing thing, but it's also kind of a scary thing. Because I remember just thinking about that and pondering on that line, and I remember God telling me, you know, Tommy, listen. In other words, I'm, you know, I can say exactly how he said it, but it was like, here, here's a kind of a mind-blowing thing. Even those that he has sentenced to eternal judgment, he still loved them. And so sometimes I think many of us can get, you know, we can get uh, on that. Well, God's love is awesome. God's like, yes, he is a loving God, but he's also a just God. He calls us to live for him. And if we don't, then there's a penalty for that. And, and you know, and we know by Scripture, we know that if, if it gets to the end, there's a, a severe penalty for it. So his love is endless, and it's constant for us, but he also calls us to live for him, not just to receive his love, but to give our lives, right? So anyway, so I thought there, we are only saved through the righteousness provided by his Son. God does not save one man a certain way and another man some other way. Neither does God reject a man because he is a Jew or a Greek. God does not show partiality. He has no favorites. No person is favored over another person in being saved or condemned. The scriptures are kind of back that up. Romans 2, 2. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. Uh, in Acts 10, says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Check that out. Let me read that again. That's back in Acts. Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. That's some good stuff. So that's the first thing. There's no distinction between men, not in God's eyes. The second thing is the Lord is rich to all that call upon him. All right? That's from the, the back half of verse 12. Um, let's look at some scripture verses that say here, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. The Lord God is rich in mercy and grace and in all else that is good and beneficial. He's so wealthy that every good gift and every perfect gift that exists in this world has flowed from his mercy and grace. That's outside of James where, you know, we talk about every good and perfect gift is, is from above. Note two significant points. Uh, wow. Note two significant points. That's kind of a tongue twister. God has enough supply to richly bless all who call upon him. There's no limit to his grace. Can I get an amen? He can never run out of it. I kind of, you know, if, if you know any, you know, um, those of us kind of deal with computers, you know, if you've ever watched a video on your phone and, um, or watched a, a video on a computer, you know, depending on your internet speed or whatever, you can get to a point where the video stops, right? Zach, you know, uh, Zach likes to post, we, you know, a lot of funny videos, but, you know, watching a video, there's nothing more aggravating, right? Then watching a video, and it starts to do what? It starts to buffer. Why? Because the the speed and the data supplied for that video to pump through your phone or through your computer at that moment has run out. 
So it begins to buffer. In other words, it freezes and nothing happens until more data has been collected through the World Wide Web to supply that video to continue to go. How many of you are grateful that there is no buffer to God's love? His love doesn't get hung up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There's no, there's no buffering. There's no stop to God's love. There's no end to His grace. It's limitless. It is measureless. Okay? It's, it's awesome, all right? In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, Ephesians 1, 7, that ye may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, Ephesians 1, 18. Uh, the scripture just speaks to God's riches, okay? So the second thing is a man must call upon God to receive the riches of God's mercy and grace. That's what Scripture says. Okay, let's go back to that. Verse 12, it says, For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. So let's look at that, okay? A man must call upon God to receive the riches of God's mercy and grace. What I, what I wrote here was, we must act to enable the promises. Amen? We must act. You know, I can, I can say all day long, I know God is rich. I know God has stuff for me. But there is something that, in, that, that enacts. There is something that enables it. There is something that is a catalyst that moves the hand of God that's woven all throughout Scripture. And it is our faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible. And, and in faith, whenever we ask God to come and to save us, what did we do? We, in faith, we stepped out. We said a prayer. We, we asked God, come into our heart. But what did we do? We called upon Him. We stepped out. We did something. We stepped out in faith. And that faith enabled and enacted the promises of God. It's not like God needs our help. He's saying, I'm waiting for you. I'm, I'm right here. I'm right here. And when we call upon him, when we step out in faith, faith enacts the promises and enables the power of God. So let's jump to the second part, salvation, right? So we've looked at there's no partiality. Okay, so we see it in Scripture. God said, there's no difference. No, no Jew, no Greek. I will save. I've sent Jesus to come. Okay, so any thoughts we may have had of any race, any this, any that being better than one or the other, throw that out. You know? We have any people, you know, any family members, any friends, we know that, you know, it's like, look, here's Scripture. God is not a respecter of persons. Now, obviously, God takes care of his own. We'll get to that later. But there is no, like, oh, man, you didn't tie your shoes. You know, that whole thing, no shoes, no shirt, no. God don't care if you walk in broke, busted, disgusted, no shoes, no shirt, wrong family, wrong this, wrong that. He is near to all. All. And all means all. So I say all. All who call upon his name. So let's look at that, the salvation of God. All men are saved by the same promise. We read it out, verse 13. Now, let's note that this promise was foretold in the Old Testament in Joel 2.32. This verse is one of the great promises of God. It really is. God loves every person, no matter his nationality, no matter his race. God's not willing that any person should perish. He wants every person to be saved. In fact, God promises salvation to every man if the man will do but one thing. Call upon the name of the Lord. Note what God says. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word whosoever means anyone and everyone, no matter who they are. It means any person, any nationality, any race, any gender. Like, what a promise. Whoever calls upon my name in earnestness will be saved. What a promise. Whosoever means that any person can be saved. Again, no matter who he is, no matter how terrible, no matter how 
in the circumstances, no matter how bad he can be saved, he may be in the depths of the inner city or the, the depths of the jungle. He may be enslaved by the most terrible spirit of sin and evil imaginable, but God can still save that person, that man, that woman. John 7.37 says, In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Man, let's be thirsty for the things of God. Amen? So, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, let's look at this, okay? So, we have to call. We know that, all right? We've got to call. Now, to call upon the name of the Lord means at least two things, Okay? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. That means at least two things. The first one is, it means that a person calls upon the name of the Lord, right? Calls upon. He believes. When that person calls, he believes Jesus Christ can and will save him. So there has to be a belief there. Right? we got to start. I can say something, I can do something, but if I don't have any belief in my own heart, I'm just uttering empty words. That's not a call. That's just me babbling off and not meaning anything. So when I call upon the Lord, it has to be backed up with a belief. It means that me or that person looks upon and believes that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. He's the Son of God who came to earth to save him. And very simply, it means that a person believes the message of John 3.16. The second thing is it means that a person calls Jesus Christ Lord. Now here's, here's the part here, okay? It means that a person calls Jesus Christ Lord, that he looks upon Jesus as the Lord God of the universe and upon himself as his servant. It means that a person surrenders, that we dedicate ourselves to serve Jesus Christ throughout our lives in everything and through everything, no matter the cost. To call upon the name of the Lord means total surrender and dedication of all one is and all one has. That's, that, that's serious. This is what I wrote on the side here. Faith enacts belief, enacts trust, enacts communion. Right? Let's start there from again. We gotta take that step of faith, right? Faith enacts belief. When I stepped out, I heard something about Jesus. Somebody, you know, whether I sat here and Pastor Mo, whatever our story is, whether whatever preacher you sat under, or whatever um, whatever voice you heard that told you about who Jesus was, you heard something. You were told something. In faith, you felt it working on you, and you responded to it. When you responded to it, that enacted, okay, when I, when I stepped out, when I called, there's a, be- excuse me, there's a belief inside of me. And whenever that, whenever that faith and that belief was enacted, God's power came, and there was a change in your life. As a result, you realized, oh, wow, he really did do what he said he was going to do, right? And so at that point... If I do something, you know, if, if, if I've never had a relationship with Sister Garland before, and, and she says, hey, young man, can you can you go to this store and go get this for me, and, and I'm going to give you this, and I do everything that she's asked me to do because she's heard that maybe someone told her, oh, you know, hey, you can't do that right now. Well, ask Tommy. He, you know, he, he's over there at the church, and he'll do it for you, and she does, and I do everything that she asked because she heard, had faith, asked if I bring it back to her. What happens? There's trust there. There's the beginning of trust. Why? Because she heard, she believed, she took a step of faith. I did it, and I proved to her that I could do it, so now what? Now there's trust, right? I know this may sound a little simple, but sometimes we just got to look back at the nuts and bolts, you know, the taking the gospel, taking the good news of what Jesus has done for us, and just break it down. We've got to remember that God is good, and He can be trusted. Sometimes i got to remind myself of that. I don't point to anybody else in this room before I tell myself. And, and sometimes that's an embarrassing thing to admit, but we do it all the time. 
we pray these prayers, we believe these things, and then we walk away instantly and like, oh, I'm so nervous about it, sister. I'm so nervous about what you just said. You believe God would do it. Do you trust him or do you not? So whenever that trust comes through, what happens there? She may ask me to do it again. She may go, oh, that's really cool. Hey, why don't you, uh, you know, why don't you come and do this or whatever? And, 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 you know, I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for doing what I asked. And what happens? There begins to be a communion there. There's a relationship of trust. And that is what communion begins to formulate. It's a covenant relationship, not just a contract where she said, hey, come back tomorrow, and I'll have a list of chores for you to do, and I'll pay you something for it. No, it's, hey, you're a young man in my church, and, and I believe in you. And you know what? Maybe whatever you're doing, maybe we'll sit down to talk about the things of God, or, or, or maybe, you know what, instead of just, you know, paying you some salary, you know, maybe at Christmas time you get a special gift or something. Why? Because there's a relationship of trust there, and that's what a covenant is. It's not just a, a contract like we, we've heard it before, a, a cold contract where it's just an agreement between two parties. A covenant is where there's communion together, there's trust, there is union there, and that's what happens whenever salvation comes, whenever we call upon the Lord and we believe. Now, that part says we can't just believe and that be it. Belief means that we commit ourselves to it. I'm committed. That's another part of the covenant. Because I know people, the Bible even says, hey, look, the demons believe in God, so they tremble. But that don't mean they're going to be chilling out next to us whenever we stand before the throne of grace. Belief has to be coupled with what? With action. And that means a life I live again. I'm not doing any of this tonight. It's, it's for all of us. A life that is lived in surrender to the things of the God who gave himself for me, loved me, and gave himself for me, okay? All right, let's, 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 let's move through this, okay? He said to them all, Luke 9, 23, he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So that's a scary charge. But you know what? In light of what God has done for us and what he continually does for us and how much he loves us, I don't think it's too much to ask. All right, so who shall call upon the Lord? Last part, God shall save him. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the end of the promise. That's why I said earlier, God takes care of his own. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. So we have the salvation there. So we know that it's not just for one person, one sect, one group. Salvation is for all. So when we look at what salvation is, it's, it's surrendering our lives. It's belief enabled with faith that, that, that responds on a life that lives how we want to. And then, uh, not how we want to, but how God wants us to. Sorry. Uh, and then once that life is living there, then we take the gospel. And now the, the verses 14 to 15 talk about the mission. The mission of the gospel, okay? The world cannot be saved apart from the gospel. Remember what has just been said. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever refers to the whole world. But note the critical part. A person has to call in order to be saved, right? We can't call without the contact info. John, can anybody get a hold of you, man? They may have heard all about what you what you guys have to offer. You know what I'm saying? Man, man I'm telling you right now, it's a smooth ride. Picks up. He's on time. It's good, John. I mean, I'm telling you, you can't, you can't get better than John. I'm telling you, you're going to like it. Oh, that's sweet, man. Really, I'm going to think about that. Catch you later, brother. I need a ride somewhere. Oh, I can do that. I can do John. I can do Robin. Oh, oh yeah, I never got the number. How am I going to get in touch with him? We cannot call upon the Lord unless we have heard, unless we have heard the good news, unless we have the contact info, unless somebody drops the digits. Hey, 
Jesus is the good news, and here's how to contact him. Here is the contact info. Without that, they cannot call upon the Lord, right? That's why it says, they cannot call unless they have heard, unless they have heard about the Lord. Therefore, the gospel has to be carried to the whole world. This is why, plain and simple, because if the word isn't spread, then the world ain't going to have the contact info to reach out and touch the one. Not someone, but the one. Amen? That is the need. The world cannot call or believe or hear without a preacher. To prove the point, Scripture reverses the order of how this actually happens, right? How can a person call on Jesus if he's not believed in him? It's impossible. Okay? No person is going to call upon the Lord to save him, nor is any person going to surrender and dedicate all he is and all he has to the Lord unless he truly believes the Lord. We've got to speak it. I'm pretty sure most of us in here have a, have a similar story, not the, the things that we've walked through, but a salvation story. God got a hold of us. Some of us, whenever it's whenever we were stealing cookies out of a cookie jar, and we were four, we were lost in sin, stealing cookies and all that kind of stuff. Some of us, God got to us a little later where the stakes were a little bit higher, but it's all the same thing. There was a call, there was a tug at the heart, and we responded, but we had to hear something first. Okay? We had to hear something first. If I didn't hear it, you know, I'm not just going to wake up one morning and go, hey, I think I'm a sinner in the end of the Savior. doesn't work that way. doesn't work that way. We have to hear. We have to be told. And when we're told, we respond. All right? Picture the religionist, right? It talks about, you know, what we said earlier, the natives in the depths of the jungle. Does he just wake up one morning and say, hey, I think I need Jesus? No, obviously he has to be told. The man in the depths of the inner city who's concerned all about the, the cares of the city and not needing does he wake up one morning and go, man, I got I to gotta catch the bus this morning. I got to do this. Oh, by the way, I think I'm a sinner in need of a savior. No, he has to be told. And, and this was the thing right here. This was crazy. Uh, one of the... Um, one of the examples given here, and it was really kind of, to me as well, the religionist, Pastor Rose talked about that a lot in these different studies, about someone who's just practicing religion but not practicing the Word of God, right? Picture the religionist in the depths of religion, the religionist who's never been exposed to the clear-cut presentation of the gospel, who has only heard about the life of Jesus and the form, ceremony, and the ritual, right? Who's never actually had a clear-cut presentation of the gospel. Does he know? No. All he, even though he's been told something, he hasn't been shared the good news. And it says right here, what an indictment and warning to Christian ministers and teachers or those who share the good news, a warning to present the gospel in simple, clear-cut terms. Sometimes we're too smart for our own good. You know, the gospel is simple. We can be as, as deep as, as God will allow us to go, but, but, the, but the start of it is simple. I've called unto you, come unto me. All you who are weary, heavy laden, take my yoke upon you. Let me take the cares of this world off. Surrender to me. And you know what? We're going to walk this thing together. It's a simple call. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Christian believers must, must preach the message if people are to hear the message. Now note that the basis of missions and evangelism is the preacher or witness himself. So in the present context, the word preacher means any believer, right, who bears witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I said, well, man, I ain't no preacher. I'm no, and I don't know. I don't know what you do, Pastor Tommy. I can't do that. I can't do what, what Pastor Mo does. You know, uh, you know what? Every single one of us, gospel call, uh, the gospel calls us. The word calls us ministers of reconciliation. 
And, and, and I, I will be the first to raise my hand. There have been times, like even what I do here, there have been times where it's on the one-on-one where I've, I've, I've failed, I've fallen short. Each one of us has the ability to be a minister of the gospel, not just here inside the four walls of this church, but in the open air of the world to those we come in contact with. We've, Tommy, you've got to share the good news. Okay, Lighthouse, Lighthouse Community Church family, we've got to share the good news. All right. Let's, uh, let's kind of bounce around a little bit as we're getting close to some time here. So salvation, right? The message of the gospel, it, it says this, right? We're to meet the needs of the world. We're to go forth ourselves. We're to pray for laborers, okay? The word says that the harvest is, is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's, there's scripture that talks all about that. We've got to get out there. We've got to do what we've got to do our part, okay? Not that, once again, God can speak the word, but he uses us because it helps grow us. It helps us share. It helps us bring in. That's why he saved us. He said, look, I've, I've appointed you, okay? I've, I've saved you. I, I've brought you close to me. And, and now that you, you're there, we're trained up. Let's, let's go and tell the world about what I've done, okay? We're to meet the needs of the world. And then uh, it says that the gospel is the message of peace and glad tidings of good things. The message of the gospel is peace, right? Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The gospel brings peace. You know what I'm saying? How many times have I just have I just sat somewhere and, and just been in, in troubled in my mind? And if I'm and if I'm honest, if I just sit still for a second, I think about that. Maybe it's that verse. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, he'll be saved. Or that one verse that God has given to you. And that's the good news. And then you find yourself in a place not just to where it's like a where it's like a pill you take or something just for a momentary good, but you are literally taking in the word of God and you believe, Lord, your word is life. Your word is life. What happens? There's peace there. Even if it's peace in the midst of a storm, that's what the gospel brings. That's what God wants us to communicate. So it says that the message of the gospel is peace. The message of the gospel is glad tidings of good things. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Amen? Life to those dry bones. Life to those dead bones. Good things of the Lord. And it says, how beautiful, um, when he's quoting this, he's, he's quoting back from the Old Testament, it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And I've always kind of laughed at that scripture. Not laughed at the scripture, but I've kind of chuckled, you know, because I've grown up here in that scripture. What about beautiful feet? I don't think feet are real beautiful. You know what I'm saying? I, you know, I'm going around my house, I wear socks, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, I wear sandals every now and again, but I just like, it's always been kind of a funny phrase that I've heard from childhood. How beautiful are the feet? What does that mean? That means that the feet of those who bring good news, those who are carried by those feet, shed, uh, as a matter of fact, as, a, uh, as, the, as the Bible says, shod, we should be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. How beautiful are those feet that are shod with God's peace. Why? Because it's a welcome sight. Whether, whether somebody knows it or not, they need the word that we're bringing to them. Man. Oh, my goodness. You know what I'm saying? Like if you're stranded on the side of the road, you know, that like and you show up, somebody's stranded, they call you. Or, or maybe we've had been broken down before. You know, there have been times where, where I've, been, I've been in trouble, you know, uh, vehicle problems, a car passes Zach, or we've all had that, right? And you call, man, I need your help, and they show up, right? And what do you go? Man, are you a sight for sore eyes. Man, I'm so glad you're here. Oh, why? Because, because there's, there's help coming. That's what the gospel brings. It brings the peace when people who don't even know they need it. Hey, man, I'm coming in this situation to share the good news with you. That's why those feet are beautiful, because they bring the good news. So salvation, belief, and hearing. We, we talked about it earlier. 
how faith enacts the promises of God, okay? The scripture says that the gospel is universal. Isaiah says that many Jews did not believe the report. So therefore, they prove that salvation is not by race, heritage, tradition, religion, institution, nor by works established by the Jewish nation or any other people. So let's look at this. There are three steps involved in faith, okay? This first step is step of hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the what? The word of? So the first thing we have to do is we have to hear it. Then we have to take that step of mental assent. A man must agree that the message is true, that the facts of the case are thus. But this isn't enough. I love this right here, you guys. Mere agreement does not lead to action. You know, I, I talked about how, you know, I'm so glad that Jesus, you know, don't just love skinny people. Somebody right here, look. He says, a man knows that eating too much harms his body, but he may continue to eat too much. I can agree that eating too much makes you overweight, but that hasn't really stopped me all the time. So that's just not because we can come into agreement with something, but just because we agree doesn't necessarily mean that we are going to do what we agree with. We have to put feet to that faith. We have to put action to what it is we believe, okay? He agrees to the truth and knows the truth, but he does nothing about it. This man still does not have faith, not the kind of faith that the Bible talks about. So that third step, so we got to hear, and with our minds, we have to agree with it, but we have to take it to that next step. We have to commit. We have to commit. When the New Testament speaks of faith, it speaks of commitment, a personal commitment to the truth. A man hears the truth, he agrees that it's true, and he does something about it. Tommy, do something about it. Church, let's do something about it. We commit and we yield our lives to the truth. The truth becomes a part of our very being, a part of our behavior, and a part of our life. Okay? I wrote again, I said, you know, the first thing I said, faith enacts belief, enacts trust, enacts communion. But then that communion enacts action. We put feet to the promise. We put feet to the, feet to the promises that we've made to God. I trust in you. I believe you. And Lord, I'm going to live a life that says what I believe. Even so... It just says it right here. James 2.17. Very, very simple. Even so, faith, if it has not works, it's dead. Being alone. Now, look, we realize that obviously works aren't what save us. We'll never be good enough, right? We'll never work enough to do it. We know that first, it has to be that faith. But once faith is enacted, works, or should I say actions and fruit, come next. Because I can have all the faith in the world to ask God to save me, to come into my life. But if I never do anything with that promise that God gave me, my faith is dead. Why? Because there's nothing tied to it to show anybody. John, you can have that business. I keep going back to John. It's been a great illustration. Sorry, man. You know, I, you know, one, one of these days, like Pastor Mo jokes about Hayden and Hunter, you know, one of these days my boys will be old enough to sit in here and I can mess with them all day. Till then, you know. You, you know, you can have that business all you want, right? But if every time somebody calls you, you're like, you know what I'm saying? Man, you can't do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got to put action to that. Oh, man, the last time that, why they call me? I can't do it over that guy again. Oh, man. Why these people be calling me all day? Why these people be bothering me all day? Why? Because there was something said about you, and you're not making it true anymore. We have to put action to our faith. We have to put action to what we have believed. If not, it is dead, right? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. So let's bring this in for a landing, okay? The very last thing, kind of a tough word, kind of a, kind of a hard word. It's talking about the Israelites. It's talking about God's people. So let's just read it real quick, one of the last passages, and then we'll, I said, we'll bring this in for a landing. 
Um, verse 18, it says, But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth and their words into the ends of the world. That's quoting out of Psalms, talking about those the words of God and, and, and the time of the Old Testament. The, the word was spread all throughout the land. Verse 19, But I say, did not Israel know? First, Moses said, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people. Talking about people that are not, at that time, the children of Israel, the children of God, the people that are, are not that. I will provoke you to jealousy because there's going to be somebody else that's going to, that's going to hear that's not you. And by a foolish nation, I will anger you. Man, why are you talking to them? Well, I, I, thought, I thought I was, well, I, thought, I thought we had something special, man. I thought we had, you know what I'm saying? I thought, I thought it was just you and me. Oh, no, that's where you got it wrong. Yes, I, I've chosen you, I've called you, but you know what? My salvation is for everyone. And I've been calling out to you, I've been calling out to you, and you ain't listening. You ain't listening. So there's going to be a word going forth to a nation that has not even realized that they needed me. And when they hear it, will they respond? I believe each and every one of us in here have benefited from that have benefited from that truth because I know that I was a Gentile and I responded to the grace and the love of God. And that promise is for me and that promise is for each and every one of us and that promise is for our family and for our friends and to those that we share the world with, share the word with. So Israel's disobedience was not because they did not hear the word of God, right? They heard it. They heard the word of God. Israel's disobedience was not because the people did not know the truth. But they had it, like, come down. You saw that joke, you know, when Moses came down from, from the heavens, you know, with the Ten Commandments. He was the first He was the first dude to ever have a download from the cloud on a tablet. Right, Zach? Right, right. Moses was the first one to ever get a download from the cloud on a tablet. Okay. Right. But anyway, they had the truth. They had the truth. It was not for a lack of hearing, and it was not certainly for a lack of hearing the truth. So what was Israel's disobedience? What was it? It was Israel's rejection because they were a disobedient and obstinate people. Plain and simple. Time after time after time, God would get a hold of them, and then they would get it right, and then they would turn their focuses and their attention to anything else that was God. And God would constantly woo them back, bring them back, sometimes um, in a loving way. Sometimes God had to bring judgment to God. So it, it got to this point where it's like God said, I will look, I will bring my son to this world who will remove the veil. He will remove those things, and salvation will be for all men, all women, all races, all creeds, all nationalities. God stretched forth his hands, inviting, offering forgiveness, peace, and reconciliation, pleading and begging for Israel to return to him. All day long, being patient, long-suffering, and forbearing, bearing for a long time, waiting until the last moment to turn away. When I read that, I was reminded, how many of you know that the story of Abraham, when God came before Abraham and said, listen, man, I'm going to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to wipe them out. They're wicked people. I've had enough. It's time to, it's time to burn it to the ground and start over. And Abraham knew that his family was still living there. Now, ultimately, they got out, but, but, but Abraham was pleading with God. God, if there's this many righteous people, will you spare the city? And God's like, okay, yeah. But there wasn't. And, and, and Abraham got all the way down to, you know, if you go look at I mean, to like nothing. And he's like, yeah. If there's, that, if there's that few, but if there's that many people that are righteous, I'll spare the city. 
and there wasn't even that many God. And what do we learn from that? Now, obviously, that was a wicked nation, but we see the, the practice there. We see the, the presence of God and the character of God all throughout that. The way that he handled his children and, uh, of Israel and the way that he had to bring judgment on them. What do we see? That God is long-suffering, okay? He will wait, and he will wait, and he will wait, and he will wait as long as he can. But there comes a time, because God is also a just God, where he's going to have to be true to his word, or else he's going to be a liar. I'll close with this. How many clothes have I had already? Uh, you know, for those of you who know, I have a father who's a, a pastor, and so I've, I've, I've had the opportunity to be around lots of different men and women of God growing up, and I count myself uh, blessed for that because it's, it's allowed me to see a lot of things and learn a lot of things. And there was this one minister that, that uh, spent time with my father and talked about how God had given them a word. Okay, giving them a word to speak to a very prominent ministry. And if I, I told it to you, some of you would even know who it was. This was years and years ago, though. And this, this person was telling my dad that they sat with him and they said that um, it was a hard word. It was a word of, it was a word of, not at that moment, not judgment. It was a word of warning. And uh, and, and I went and uh, they, they were going to the church to minister with that, that, that minister. And, and they knew that they were going to do ministry, but they also had to, had to bring this word. God had, it, had brought it forward. And, um, and and it was husband and wife. And, and they said, look, God's given me a word to, to share with you. There's something that the Lord wants to say to you. Do you want to hear it? And, and whenever they shared it, um, basically what it was, was that there are things, and I won't get into the whole specifics of the word, but basically it was, right now, you're, you're in trouble. You're in trouble, and you're trying to do it. You're trying to get out on your own, okay? If you'll let me come in through the front door, if you'll let me come into the front door of your life, I'll push all this nonsense, I'll deal with it, and I'll push you out the back door, okay? Because I love you, because I'm giving you a chance, because I'm reaching out to you, because my love is endless, because do I want to see you all busted and jacked up? No, this is me warning you, this is me throwing a lifeline to you. So, but if you continue in this path, the Lord says, I'll come through the back door, and I'll push out the front door for the entire world to see and this minister did not heed that, and, and, and what the Lord had spoken through through this minister came to pass, and it was ugly, and it was messy. And, and, and do you think God got any pleasure out of that? Of course not. Of course not. Why would he? God wants us to be whole. God wants us to be right with him. Everything that he says, and whoever calls upon my name will be saved. That's who God is, but he's also, if you don't call upon my name, then there's going to be consequences. If you hear and you are told and you don't respond, or worse, if you have responded and then you don't walk in a way that is pleasing, like God, he's long-suffering, he is, he's gracious and he's merciful. But like with Israel, he said, look, I'm doing this thing now among the Gentiles. I've given you time after time, thousands of years we read throughout the Old Testament, that history where God pleaded and forgave. You know what, when, but you, you take it back every single time, every single time. When they were called on the carpet, whether it was uh, being brought back lovingly or through judgment, when they realized it and they called upon the name of the Lord, what happened? They were saved. Whether there were consequences to walk out, sometimes there were, sometimes there are in our lives. But the point of it is, God extends his hand to us. We know it. We're all so grateful for his graciousness and his loving kindness. Verse um, in Proverbs 29.1 says, He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. That sounds like kind of a tough thing, but it really exhibits the love of God. God, God reproves us. He corrects us. Why? 
Why? Because he wants to break all our fun? No, because he loves us and he wants us to be with him. That's the good news. Man, I know some of the things that I've called you to do are hard and they're tough, but when you recognize what I've done for you, when you recognize what I want for you, when you recognize how good life is, not just like, you know what I'm saying, not just like all sunshine and roses, yes, and I think we can all agree, sometimes walking for the Lord is hard. It's tough. It's not all sunshine and roses. The Word even promises it, okay? But it, it goes beyond that. It's, that. it's that crazy thing, that crazy, awesome, amazing thing that says, just like Job said, though he slay me, yet I'll trust him. That's the trust in God that comes from someone who is truly with them. Do we fall? Do we slip? Do we have problems? Yes. But when we call upon the name of the Lord, He is faithful and just to pick us up, to dust us off and say, look, let's work on this. Let's go. And that is the good news. And that is what God wants us. I wrote this last thing. It says, God reproves us because He loves us. We must not turn away. In light of His goodness, in light of His mercy, may may we never turn away. Amen? Amen? God's Word is good. Amen? All right. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that your good news isn't just for one person, one type of person, one man or woman, or you're no respecter of persons. Thank you, God, that you said if we hear you, Lord, faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. If we hear your Word and we don't turn our hearts and harden, Lord, ourselves to you, when we hear your Word, when we respond to your Word, God, and we let it change us and let it change our lives, God, we know, God, that there is nothing, there is nothing, God, there is nothing that can stand in the way of, Lord, the promise of salvation that you have made to us. But also, God, we realize that once that happens, God, that you want us to take that good news to the world. And, Father, I pray that each one of us tonight here would remember that, God, that you haven't set aside your your salvation just for one person. God, you want us to take it to everybody. And, Lord, we know that, God, we're just imperfect people, God. We're, We're not all everywhere at once like you are, but, God, we can reach the one person that you put in our path. We can reach that one family that you put in our path, God. And if each one of us does, God, what you place in our path to do with the good news that you placed inside of us, Lord, we will see incredible things happen, the kingdom furthered. And, Lord, we know, Jesus, we know lives changed and brought to you. So thank you for your word tonight. Let it continue to challenge us. Let it continue to change us, God. Let us walk in your word, Lord, even when it's hard. Lord, you said you'd always be with us. You would never forsake us. And we thank you, Lord. We love you. We praise you. And we give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. And again, it's in that name of Jesus Christ we pray. And everyone said, Amen.